Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening and God bless. A word from Matthew 22, 1 to 14. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner of oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out and into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for for many are called but few are chosen this is the word of the lord good morning good morning, good morning. i am i am going to move this <laughs> I am Erin James Brown. I am the Director of Discipleship at Urban Village Church, and I'm so happy to see you here this morning. Hosanna, Hosanna, hella praise to the God Most High. The crowd shouted as Jesus entered into the city. Jesus sits astride coats perched on top of a donkey as he enters Jerusalem. Hands wave, palm branches shimmer in the sun, making an archway shadowing his parade parade route. The people sign and shout to the one whom they hope will save, the one whom they they hope will heal and restore. Hosanna, Hosanna, hella praise to the Most High God. And upon entering the city gates, Jesus goes to the temple, which is unusually crowded for a weekday afternoon. And rather than this 
temple being filled with worshipers or prayer-filled people or mourners, Jesus finds himself pushing through the street vendors and kiosk salespeople, peddling lotions and bombs that say they will provide healing, candles that make prayers rise higher to God's nostrils, and animals, not the fatted calf kind, but more like the sickly and abused kind that are there for sacrifice. The space, which is once a place for people to reflect on the reverence of God and debate the scripture and practice rituals that mirror the rhythm of life, has become nothing better than a mall for socializing. A place to waste time and a space to feed consumeristic needs and wants for false hope of entering into the heaven. And so upon seeing this, Jesus flips the freak out and begins flipping the freak out of everyone else in there. He turns stuff over, he yells obscenities, he has a sacred cow, and he throws a temple tantrum. I know, I was really proud of that one. And the next day, fueled by his anger from the following events, Jesus launches into several parables, stories of absurdities, narratives that wrestle with realism, and tales that grow taller as they are being told, that struggle with faithful living. And today's parable is no exception. And I must admit, Jesus' angry airing of the grievances does not sit well with me. I did not want to say, thanks be to God, at the end of the reading. It's a story of a king who invites people to a party. The invitations go out and the guests all seem to click interested, but no one apparently is going to show up. And the king, sensing his party, this wedding celebration for his child's marriage is going to be an epic fail, dispatches his servants with a message like town criers through the street. They shout, it is happening. This is no joke. We've cooked the oxen and the cattle. There's a buffet. There's even going to be an omelet station, bottomless mimosas. And all of the things, come, join the party. It is time to celebrate. So the servants go out. They extend the personal invitation to the guests, and they are ignored. Most of the guests go about their business. Some keep working on their side hustle. Others just go home to Netflix and chill. Then... Some ungrateful sons of boss ladies take it upon themselves to murder the messengers. And the king, hearing of his rejection and the massacre, rallies his warriors, sends out his merciless mercenaries, assigns assassins to burn it all down. And while the city is still smoldering, the king sends out another invitation. This time to the B-listers, the creepy aunts and uncles, the people smoking in the alleyway and the ones sleeping in the park, all are invited. And if the story wasn't weird enough, everyone, everyone who was interrupted at the last minute by an invitation to a swanky event is expected to adhere to this really strict dress code of wedding clothes, which it doesn't seem the host provides, for a king who, is, who seems somewhat generous by inviting all of these people to the banquet 
The text says he invites both the good and the bad. He has exceedingly high expectations of what his party guests are supposed to wear. I have high expectations, too, of how I'm supposed to look, but not how you're supposed to look. And the king asks the person, where is your wedding attire? And when the underdressed guest balks at him, words somehow stolen from his mouth, the king condemns him to eternity of teeth grinding. This parable, and actually most of Matthew, is filled with hellfire and brimstone, images of bottomless pits of torment. And where I come from, lots of preachers like to use this passage and read it at face value, obsessing over the chucking of souls into the fiery inferno, assuming that there was some dastardly deed performed under the covers of night or just simply under the covers that will lead one to eternal damnation. It's fear-mongering, godly people that lead with threats of destruction, usually hoping to convert people they love, but also to stop people from stop, drop, and rolling for eternity. Because all those unsaved dumpsters of humans need to be converted to the Lord's way of generosity and celebration, right? Or else suffer the wrath of the skull-crushing Jesus. Is that the gospel message? While I'm terrified of the king, I am equally drawn to and enamored by the God who wants all at the celebration. But once the party gets bumping, it's like the green-eyed monster God comes out and wants to bounce anyone who didn't follow the dress code. Was there even a dress code posted at the door? Why weren't there bouncers like a muscly Peter and a buff Mary Magdalene stationed at the entrance to tell people to turn, a, turn around and go home rather than wear shorts and a t-shirt to the soiree? The text doesn't tell us if the king was supposed to supply the wedding clothes or if the person was even too poor to afford them. All it tells us is that the man was befuddled by the king's invitation to celebrate. Instead, he kind of wanders around the party hoping no one will notice him, failing to thoroughly enjoy himself because he's constantly assuming he doesn't belong there. The party was meant for A-listers, right? Surely this decadence wasn't intended for me. So this guest shows up still assuming he's an outcast still assuming the invitation was not meant for him, not meant for all, that God's hospitality extends to all, the good and the bad, but somehow excludes him. I have this recurring dream, and it's not cool to talk about your dreams, but I do it all the time. In the last days of the semester, students are preparing for final exams, and I always dream that there's this one class I forgot that I was registered for. Have you ever had this dream too? Mm. It's terrible. I need, to find, I need this final class to graduate, of course, and I haven't shown up for a single session, and if my truancy doesn't prevent me from passing, and uh, I'm sure that the final grade on the exam will help me to disqualify me from graduation and will ensure that my future is hopeless and everything's going to end. So I sit stunned and fearful 
that my should have been classmates are scribbling out answers and I have nothing to write on the page. And the bell rings and I stumble into an overcrowded hallway full of disappointment. I often find this dream resurfaces in my subconscious when in my waking moments, I am most filled with self-doubt. When I worry about how I will be received, when I fear that my own abilities will fall short and I don't have the intelligence or the skill or the money or the talent to succeed, that lingering feeling that I am not enough. And so I drink wine or take medication to help me sleep and not have those dreams. But they always come back to haunt me. The sin of the underdressed wedding guest, aside from his fashion aloofness, is his doubt that he belongs in God's good kingdom. The grace of God is for all except me, he thinks. All are qualified in God's eyes. All are beautiful in God's eyes. All are worthy of God's love. But am I this time? God does not invite followers to self-sacrifice and constant self-guessing. God invites followers to celebrate God's goodness and to celebrate God's delight in all of God's creation, including you, including me, including us. When the gospel writer Matthew describes a wedding celebration, I imagine Jesus' audience, their ears perk up like a little puppy, just peeking up. They have heard the story of God's good future. It was described before in Isaiah, and suddenly their memory is flooded with stories of God's future banquet, when God gets everything God wants and the world is put to rights. So Matthew's audience, upon hearing Jesus' parable, would remember that God's people believe God is preparing a feast of delicious delectables. All the things will be spread on the table. Grief and sorrow will no longer loom over the people of God like a cloud on a rainy day, but joy will tear away the fear. And people will dance. Dance without feeling self-conscious like other people are watching. Instead, they will be shaking their hips, grinding hard to Diana Ross, belting out, letting the world know, and, not, not, uh, and needing to let it show. Partners and friends and family members will look at each other under the mirror of a spinning ball, and they will wipe away each other's tears. Swords and guns and tools of violence will be converted, melted down in a fire and repurposed from objects of death into gardening tools and musical instruments. No longer will there be threats and fear of violence because death will be no more. People will look across the dance floor to see their partners and their friends and their family members and they will say, you are here. And I am here, gay and straight, transgender and cisgender, genderqueer and still trying to figure it out. You and I are here. You and I are loved and beloved by a lovely God. 
So Matthew's audience, the people listening to Jesus' parable as Jesus prepares for his looming death, know that there is a hope and a promise for tomorrow. And they also knew of Jesus' reputation. Jesus was known, if you didn't already know, throughout Judea as a party animal. Matthew 11 says people believe Jesus enjoyed his cheese and wine a little too much. He was accused of being the life of the party because he knew how to enjoy himself and create a good atmosphere. His last night with his friends, when he knew he was about to die, what did Jesus do? He threw a party. He celebrated a meal with his nearest and dearest. And when death could not hold him back any longer, Jesus returned to do what? To eat and drink and send his crew out to do more of the same. So as disciples, as disciples of the Most High God, as disciples of the Jesus who saves and redeems and celebrates, we are called to get the party started. God's future party is not and should not be some distant, far-off thing on our calendar that we're just waiting around for. The party, no, because Jesus died and was resurrected, is here and now. And we are to be people who party. People who party hard. We should be hard partiers, despite all the evidence to the contrary, despite violence and threats of domestic terrorism, despite violence caused by people in power who are supposed to care for the most vulnerable in our communities. We will party. We will party because our God is good and continues to work for goodness, for restoration and redemption. We will party because God does not discriminate who gets to show up for this celebration. So we will party with a vengeance. We party because it is true. Despite self-doubt, despite feeling worthless, despite the voice inside our head that says, you're not enough. Despite a world that continually tells us we are not enough, we will put on our clothes, clo our robes of righteousness, not because we feel self-righteous, but because God believes we deserve to look and feel our best. Those dreams of questioning whether we belong, whether we are, well, those dreams of questioning whether we belong are just that. They are dreams. The last guy who failed to dress properly doubted his place in God's kingdom. He was living in a dream instead of waking up to the reality around him. He believed hatred, whether it was self-imposed or socially provoked, which caused him to second-guess his worth. But Jesus, much like the king of this story, sees the man for who he truly is, one who is invited, one who has a reason to celebrate, one who is worthy of love and acceptance. So you are invited to party hard, to party with a vengeance. You are invited to know that you are a beloved guest at God's party, which is happening now. Will you pray with me? God of the feast, you have prepared a table before all of us and poured out life 
with abundance. So much so that death cannot claim triumph over this world which you have created, over the stars and the sky and the dust. So God, you call us to this banquet where we may receive this delectable, holy food. We pray, God, that as we take and eat and celebrate, we may be strengthened for this journey to be transformed into people of righteousness and peace, people who share this good news with others. And so we pray in the name of our brother and friend, Jesus. Amen.